the stuff that we all assume it takes years and years for a kid to learn, but really it takes years and years for a kid to be taught the academic basics that are university prereq prerequisites. That's different from learning. Well, hello there. I am very excited today to say that we are joined by Blake Bowles. He's a pioneer in alternative education and self-directed learning. He's a writer, speaker, podcaster, every just multi-potentialite who helps dip our toes into unschooling. We also do mention homeschooling. Yes, I said it. And unpack the stigma there. Also, you might be wondering what that crackle is during the video. That's just my hair caressing my microphone. Also, there is a video version of this podcast episode. So as always, you're welcome to visit Joe Yang on YouTube. Awesome. Let's jump straight into it. If you want to have, a, I think, a happy and successful life, you are constantly learning. If you would prefer to just be told what to do and follow instructions uh, and, you know, do put out as little effort as possible for maximum reward, uh, then you don't have to keep learning that much, perhaps. And, and really, that's the, the attitude that I believe that mainstream schools often instill in young people. It's like, how can I do as little work as possible to get the highest grade, the highest reward? And I think that's, that's a pretty crappy way to, I don't know, influence a society, you know, to bring up the next cohort of young people. I just don't think that's going to go very well for us. I think so. Yeah. Because we've, we've sort of been classical conditioned to think that, oh, learning, oh no. <laughs> and having that misinterpretation that learning is a boring thing, that it's something that we have to do. Um, and I really love the idea that you talk about, which is consent. Consent, we usually think of as relationships, as um, something that's uh, very social. But why are you talking about consent in education? Yeah, I think we also talk about consent pretty commonly in the, the medical realm. And we imagine that if, if you know, you want to allow someone to like, you know, do surgery on you, you have to be fully consenting to this. And that doesn't just mean, you know, the surgeon says, hey, do you want me to do surgery? And you say, yeah, sure, why not? It's like they, <laughs> they explain all the options to you, the possible uh, implications of this choice. You know, you want to make a fully informed decision. And I, and I feel like the act of going to school is something that we just blithely assume everyone has to do. There, there is no deep conversation. There is no discussion of alternatives. So you might be thinking, uh, wait, what? There are alternatives, but hold on. Wait, school's not compulsory? And yeah, it's true. Blake will explain more about unschooling and the whole idea there. But essentially, it's a spectrum. So conventional schooling is what we're used to, and unschooling is the opposite of that. And then what I'm focusing on mainly is the sweet spot in the middle, combining what we know about schooling with the freedom that unschooling provides. But if you consent to uh, the environment that you're in, you have a way better chance of taking advantage of it, of being happy in it. And so in the, the realm of self-directed learning, I think that you can have all different types of structures. You can have Montessori schools and you can have military schools. You can have homeschooling and you can have rigorous four-year universities. And the common thread here is that if you know what you're getting yourself into, if you're fully consenting to this environment, then you're gonna take advantage of it. And it's really your own choice 
then. And if you're not, you know, whether you're, it's an alternative, some cool hippie alternative school, mm-hmm. or it's a regular conventional school, if you're just going there because someone else is expecting you or forcing you to go, or you haven't really thought about the alternatives, then you're probably not going to take very, you know, good advantage of this opportunity. For sure. Yeah, it, it's true. Once you come up with the decision to actually go to, say, traditional school, you know exactly what you're getting into because you've now researched, you've looked at the alternatives. I think, um, especially in my inner social circle, the idea of alternative education is not talked about or considered weird, (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, parents will not really realize that there are other options. So they will inherently because of the culture, get their uh, children to go to school like they had sort of forgetting uh, how triggered they were <laughs> when they were in school. Uh, and and I think before we jump into the actual alternatives, because I know you're a big unschooling pioneer, um, I would like to bring in a scenario. Camilla is 15. She doesn't really know what she wants in life. Uh, she just goes with the flow. She's not really engaged in class. She checks the time often (laughs) to go to recess or whatever it is. Her parents though do want her to continue with school to get good grades to get into uni. She does want good grades. She likes the feeling of getting good grades, but what advice would you give Camilla? And also what advice would you ask her to ignore? Camilla's definitely not me. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, You know, it's so hard to to give generalizable advice in this realm because I would I would also want to know, does she have close friendships with peers and with uh, her teachers? Uh, does she enjoy extracurriculars at school? Because for some kids, going through the sort of mindless repetition of classes is okay if they get to participate in a really wonderful band or drama or mock trial or a sports group. Um, mock trials and some. Oh, sorry. Maybe that's an American term. That's where you you act like you're in a in a, a court, like there's lawyers and judges and, and jury. You're yeah. kidding! Oh and my it's god! A, it's a very it's a very fun and engaging thing, and it turns into a, a kind of national level competition sometimes between mock trial teams. So, cool. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so <anyway>. exactly that. <laughs> yeah. That that can be one of the really engaging aspects of a of a large conventional school, and mm-hmm. and something that's harder to do at a small alternative school, um, that doesn't have as many resources. And so mm-hmm. that's why I'm saying maybe a few more. Uh, you know, I'm not being a good good <laughs> respondent to your question right now. I'm saying <laughs> I need fine. more information. That's fine. Um, but. So the advice I would give her uh, is probably the same advice I, I normally give every teenager, which is, you know, uh, don't let yourself waste too much time being bored and disengaged. Uh, like find out what you consider the most interesting challenges in your environment, uh, the, the stuff you're going to learn the most from and make that your full-time priority. And if making it your full-time priority means you have to step outside of the conventional system then so be it. You can do that. Many other young people have done it before. You can still go to uni. You can still get good jobs. Uh, You are not ruining your life by doing that. In fact, by focusing on what engages you, uh, you will probably make your life a lot better. And you will Mm -hmm. probably, you know, kind of develop these skills and attitudes 
that other people don't really think about or have a chance to develop until they're done with formal education. Yeah. And maybe, maybe never, because so many people do formal education, they step right into the, a full-time job, and they just never have this opportunity to, to really be a self-directed learner. Hmm. No, it's definitely true just going with, through the motions and sort of being like, yeah, I guess I enjoy it. <laughs> question mark and then yeah 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 there are worse things that could be happening to me right now i shouldn't complain too much right right well everyone yeah. around me is sort of you know feeling the same way i do i guess this is normal when no not really i mean if everyone's just blindly going there the same way and not really understanding what fulfills them in the end it's it's sort of just for me going through high school i had that same experience where i've only realized now what i actually enjoy so an example of this is me having the misconception that i wasn't good at english in school that i didn't like it even though i really enjoy writing right now and my days consist of writing blog posts and writing upon writing so yeah pretty ironic i, I genuinely believe that school does work for some kids but i think that there's this very large group of people who are uh, kind of quietly dissatisfied. And then there's a more vocal group of young people who are, are very, you know, openly dissatisfied mm -hmm. about school. <laughs> and then uh, of those groups, there's only a small fraction of those who have the, the, the resources and fortitude to actually do something about it. So for example, things like alternative schools being so, so expensive, like the tuition fees are crazy. Also, if you choose to unschool or homeschool, that means that you have the luxury to have the time to help your children or whatever it is. So yeah, alternative schooling is pretty much a privilege right now. And yeah. so uh, uh, certainly the alternative education movement is, is a small sliver um, of the overall population. And uh, it's not something that everyone has to do or, or, or should do necessarily. Hmm. I. I yeah, latching on to what you said about only how only a small portion of people actually will get so what's the word they they are so uncomfortable with the environment that they're in with conventional schooling that they will actually just revolt against it or not follow the rules and not be obedient. Um, I was the opposite. I was very obedient and I did very well in school. Um, but it's to the point where, yeah, they, they actually cannot thrive in this environment. And I guess that's very much unschooling or the homeschooling or the alternative movement, which you're referring to. Uh, and for our audience here, because first of all, alternative schooling in general was a very new concept and mm -hmm. we're sort of dipping our toes. I sort of introduced it in a previous episode. Now we're going into unschooling and I think they have no idea <laughs> what unschooling is. So, can you give a quick dip in the toes, nice easing way into unschooling? Sure, a nice gentle introduction to unschooling. Yeah. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it needs a gentle introduction because the term is not a good term, just linguistically speaking. It, it yeah. doesn't mean anything. It just feels very anti. Um, and homeschooling equally is a pretty bad and misleading term. It makes us think school at home. And why would you do that to a poor child? Just yeah. making them do the same stuff they could be doing at school with some friends instead yeah. stuck at home <laughs> you know true, with yeah. parents and, and siblings and you know deprived and unsocialized those poor children we should outlaw homeschooling yeah. you know i where i'm calling you from germany they have outlawed homeschooling 
oh. it's completely illegal here. Yeah. Ooh, so okay. there, there are some countries that they genuinely, you know, will not let you homeschool. Um, but I'm from the United States and in the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, um, and some other countries too. So I had a look at the list of homeschooling countries on Wikipedia, and I see you, Estonia. You is small, but you is important. Um, in the US, it's a state by state thing. And many states like California, where I'm from, they have no regulations about what you have to do whatsoever. Like theoretically, you're supposed to teach your kids the, the core academic subjects, but there's no state official that can ever check on you doing that. Okay, so I imagine that you guys are a bit concerned right now, rightfully so. So I just imagine your frown lines sort of appearing. If you're questioning, oh my God, what about the children's future? Like, aren't you screwing yourself over? Yeah, I do ask Blake a lot about that. So you can keep watching. Also, he mentions a homeschooling teen who was obsessed with Vikings. And she actually managed to sit in on Yale University lectures about Vikings. So anything is possible. If you're curious and you just want to jump straight to it, that's at 14 minutes 45. So really, you can do whatever you want. And that is what enables unschooling. Unschooling is using the laws of homeschooling to maximize your freedom, to essentially customize your child's experience to whatever works for them. Blake does speak a lot from the perspective of a parent because that's his target audience. So essentially, his audience is middle-aged parents and a human adult being who has an 100% track record of being ID'd. And a lot of people talking about um, interest-led learning or curiosity-driven learning, um, that all feels very similar to self-directed learning for me. And in a typical homeschooling family, you have the parents saying, okay, Here's some stuff you have to do because we think it's important for your future growth or success or whatever. It's like you have to do some math, you have to do some foreign language, and you know maybe you, <laughs> you have to go outside and exercise every once in a while, child. Oh, God um, forbid. <laughs> I know, God forbid you get off the computer for a moment. Uh, I say that as someone who loved playing computer games and video games throughout um, my adolescent years. I see, so, okay. Um, but then unschooling, um, is about going to the far end of the self-directed part of that spectrum and saying, listen, kid, uh, I'm here for you as a resource. I will be your helper. Uh, if you ask me to be your guide or teacher, I will do that, but I will not assume that I am going to put myself in that. Yes, I'm still your parent. Yes, I'm still going to make sure you're, you are fed and clothed. And yes, I will <laughs> Thank you know, God. make sure you, you, you try to go exercise every once in a while. Yeah. Um, but fundamentally, when it comes to learning stuff, I'm going to follow your lead. And so if that means that you want to get totally into Vikings, a, a young woman who I met at a talk I was given some years ago, that was her thing. As a homeschooler, wow. she just, she watched this documentary about Vikings. And then she said, this is great. I want to go super deep into this. And so she read books, watched documentaries, YouTube videos. When she turned right. 16, uh, her family said, like, do you, in the U.S., there's a sweet 16 birthday party yeah, culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, this young woman said, please do not give me a sweet 16. Instead, help me buy a plane ticket to London so I can go see this like actual Viking ship, which has been reconstructed oh. and is in a museum. <laughs> and and eventually this, this young woman, uh, she lives in Connecticut, not far away from New Haven, which is where Yale University is. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, 
she discovered that there was a new course being offered by a new professor at Yale all about Vikings. And she, with the help of her mom, she reached out to this professor by just emailing the professor and said, listen, I'm a 16 year old, old homeschooler. I have this crazy passion for Vikings. And uh, I, I know that Yale doesn't allow anyone to just sit in on classes, but like, I was wondering if there's any way I could still participate in this class. And the professor responded and said, why don't you and your mom come in and we'll talk. And, you know, they had a good connection and the professor said, all right, please come sit in on my classes. And by the way, here's a copy of the new textbook I just published about Vikings. And so, you know, that's perhaps a a special situation. That's not an everyday thing in the lives of homeschoolers, but (laughs) I think it represents what's possible. And Mm -hmm. so, and that is something that can happen in the world of of unschooling when Mm -hmm. parents decide to fully support their kids interests and curiosities. Um, And not just when it's a very clear and maybe uh, socially approved interest, like, you know, learning about Viking history would be. That's a bit maybe uh, weird and specific, but at least, you know, adults can wrap their heads around it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Sometimes unschooling looks like letting your kids uh, play a bunch of video games and watch Netflix for months and months on end. And Mm -hmm. that too is unschooling. Hmm. I see you frown lines. I can feel your skepticism. But Blake explains a lot more about how that factors in with de-schooling, and I ask him to elaborate a bit more. In the next section, I was going to do some rapid-fire worries, (laughs) which we will dig into because it's, I think, generic thoughts that people would have about unschooling. But about the video games, because, yeah, let the kids, you know, there's no curriculum. Let them do what they want, and a kid so much as loves you know like world of warcraft what happens then because if they spend all day every day (laughs) on world of warcraft do you think that's going to be beneficial for them Uh, again it's it's hard to say um you know kids can have positive relationships with games and they can have negative relationships with games and uh in the unschooling world there's this concept of de-schooling and this idea states that uh, if you have been in a highly controlling school environment for for a long time, you need a, a break. You need sort of like a, a mandatory vacation to yeah. let your your intrinsic motivation system come back online. It, it has been offline for quite a while. Uh, so you, you need to, to, another way to think of this is you need to have the experience of feeling uh, what boredom is like again, the feeling of, wow, if no one forces me to do anything, actually nothing will happen in my life. And that feels kind of bad. That feels kind of like I I am wasting my time. And this can be a very difficult thing for parents to do because maybe they they hear the story about the unschooler who sat in on a Yale class about Vikings and, and they say, all right, you were in school last year and now we're unschooling this year. So start doing amazing things immediately. And what the kid really needs is it some time to decompress. Uh, there's a rule of thumb that for every one year that a kid has been in conventional school, give them one month of time to really do anything they need to be doing, which can include sitting around and playing World of Warcraft. I actually think sitting around and playing World of Warcraft is a pretty uh, positive scenario. You know, there, there's a reason that kids love World of Warcraft or Minecraft or The Sims mm-hmm. or Fortnite or any of these other Pokemon. modern <laughs> complex, yeah, Pokemon Go. Uh, 
So then I started reminiscing about Pokemon Sapphire, the first Pokemon game I ever played. And I remember catching a Kyogre with an Ultra Ball. Literally, like, one of the best days in my childhood. Actually, one of the best days of my life. Yep. And and the games today uh, are way more networked and social than the games I was playing in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so there is actually a lot of socialization going on. It's not like kids just playing Super Mario Brothers by themselves in the basement anymore. Yeah. And also, yeah. these games are incredibly challenging, and that's why the kids are there. If a game is too easy, a kid will walk away from it very quickly. And you know, We all know this. If we've played a yeah. game, we know that if it's too easy, it's not that interesting. And in World of Warcraft specifically, when you finish a quest, your reward is not like the end of the game. Your reward is another harder quest. Yeah. And that's something that we should really pay attention to because young people, when they play um, high quality games, and, and the ones I mentioned, I think are high quality. I'm not trying to defend like Candy Crush or mm-hmm. games that are more like, you know, slot machines. Yeah. And, and so with these really high quality games, um, kids are voluntarily doing hard things and they are seeking out challenges. That ultimately is what we want young people to be doing. That's what I believe. We mm-hmm. want young people to voluntarily take on hard challenges. And then when they finish one, to seek out the next one. Like, like that's a good way to, to contribute to society right there. Mm-hmm. As adults, we just have a trouble seeing this value in games because we put all games into the category of essentially uh, you know, slot machines in the same way that it's easy for adults to say, you know, anytime my kid is on YouTube, they're just watching dumb, mindless content. When in fact, there is some really wonderful enriching content. So I'm not sure if this falls under dumb and mindless or enriching, but I remember one time I stumbled on a video of of a hippo pooing in the zoo. I don't, I don't know how I got there, but it made me question my life and simultaneously scarred me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are people like Vsauce and Mark Rober and everyone who, um, it's like, I would say the edutainment, but mainly educational, but present it in such a great way that yeah. it's just so engaging. And I think uh, I, I, when you start talking about de-schooling and um, video game stuff, it really sounds like that de-schooling period is rediscovering what fun is like and associating yeah. the learning with fun. Because for so long, yeah, we start to see that learning isn't fun. So this is sort of like the transitioning period for that. Um, and I think this is sort of included in the rapid fire worries, to be honest. Because um, again, I think a lot of people are having culture shock with unschooling because it's such a new concept, especially when there is no strict uh, uh, curriculum, high school curriculum for, say, uni. And I know that you get this a lot, but uh, could you please explain how students who unschool or homeschool for that matter, or do alternative schooling, have a chance at uni? Yeah, that's what I wrote my first book about. So happy to mm-hmm. discuss it. Oh yeah. Um, essentially, you, you can wait until the, the kid actually has interest in going to uni. This is the very short answer. You can let the kid play World of Warcraft. You can let the kid just learn about Vikings and not learn about math uh, for quite a long time. And ideally what's happening here is that this kid is developing uh, his or her ability to 
you know, fo focus and follow an interest and follow something that feels meaningful to them in a very effective way. That's sort of the meta level skill that's being developed here. That's the self-directed learning. And so then when the kid realizes that, ha, huh, I actually do think I should go to uni because this will be useful to my life or because it seems like a meaningful experience, then they will be able to take that same focus and apply it on the task of doing whatever they need to do to pass the exams to get into uni. Now, this is very different based on what country we're in, but in the United States, to get into university, you can either apply as a normal first year student, or you can go into a two year community college, uh, which are affordable and accessible. They're all over the US. You can start taking these classes when you're 16 or sometimes younger, and you can do two years of general liberal arts education and then transfer into a four year university. Yeah. And in both mm -hmm. these cases, there are unschoolers who you know, don't touch academics for years and years. They don't touch academics until they're 13 or 15 or 17. Wow. And then they say, okay, wait a second. I do want to go to college. Maybe I discovered that archaeology is a cool thing. Maybe by watching it, you know, some sweet YouTube videos. And now, okay, what do I have to do to become an archaeologist? Oh, I have to go get this bachelor's of science degree. And what do I need? Oh, I need to have chemistry and I need to have math and I need to have maybe some English and, and you know, the stuff that we all assume it takes years and years for a kid to learn, but really it takes years and years for a kid to be taught the academic basics mm. that are university prereq prerequisites. That's okay. different from learning in the same way that school is different from education. And so what typically happens in my experience is that uh, these young people, once they have the, the sort of proper motivation to jump through all these hoops to get into university, they will do it very rapidly in a much more efficient way than they would if they were sitting through classes bored, distracted by other students with a bunch of busy work. And this idea really reminds me of my discussion with Moko in episode seven. And we were talking about language learning and how on exchange you go for like three days and you're already learning more than you did in a semester. So it's possible to really immerse yourself in something and learn something in a really short period of time. Uh, in the US, there are these exams like the SAT and the ACT, which are completely disconnected from the school system. And so you can study for these exams and you can get tutoring, you can take you know, practice exams, and you can do all of this at your own pace. You can do it from home. Um, and so that's one way that these kids prove that they can get into university. Community college is another way. And every once in a while, there are unschoolers who do, do almost nothing, like they don't do any standard tests and they also don't do any community college but they just take all of the learning that they've done and they put it into a transcript. Usually, you know, a parent does this or you can hire like a consultant to do this for a little bit of money. And then you have what looks like a normal school transcript. It's not accredited, but it still is written in the correct language. And you submit that to the college and especially for colleges that are not super competitive, you know, not the Yale universities of the world. Um, when they see that this person is a self-motivated learner who has spent their time doing some interesting stuff, they can obviously focus. And yes, they need to have some, you know, demonstrated academics under their belt. If you just say, I've played World of Warcraft for the past 12 <laughs> years. No, no, you know, you're not going to get into university with that. Uh -huh. that that's very doubtful. Um, but with someone who has a, a basic diversity of experiences under their belt, 
like they get into university. It, it happens consistently. It's been happening since the 80s and 90s. It's, yeah. it's no longer a controversial fact, at least in the United States. So in Australia, it's pretty much the same. We have TAFE and we have unis like Swinburne, which actually offer uni entrance for homeschoolers. So, you know, homeschooling does have that stigma. But my point is that if unis accept homeschoolers into uni, then alternative schools like the one Danica went to are pretty valid. And, you know, they meet conventional schooling and unschooling in the middle. Yeah. And and sort of going back to what you said about the learners who cram like say 16 years of schooling into I don't know how long but um, maybe a year or two yeah okay okay I was like two months one month (laughs) uh Uh, less likely yeah do you have any real life examples of uh, like an example of some student who managed to do that and sort of learn maths learn English or something oh yeah could you mention one of them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I've just heard this story so many times from parents that it's almost, you know, they all blend together uh, at oh, this point. Okay. And so let's just take math because that's the most anxiety inducing subject because yeah. a lot yeah. of kids really honestly will not do math if they're not forced to do math. And so that, that's the very last thing for them to, to learn. Yeah. And especially if someone who, you know, has interest in the arts, uh, you know, they're thinking about going to uni and they think, why do I have to learn this math stuff? It's not going to apply, uh, but they still have to because it's part of the prerequisites. Then, yeah, that can be a genuinely challenging situation. But um, I, I have heard this story over and over again that kids who only have basic math, um, you know, they can go to the store, they can, you know, calculate change, that kind of stuff. Uh, maybe they can do basic fractions and decimals. When those kids then need to get caught up, you know, through the level of algebra, perhaps. Um, then, you know, they, they essentially attack this like uh, they would attack any other maybe not so savory thing that they have to do uh, in mm-hmm. life. And they yeah. just think, how can I, you know, how can I do this with the least amount of suffering possible, you know, as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And so for some kids, that means they get a math tutor and they work with that tutor for, I don't know, six months. And it doesn't surprise me about this because if you have a tutor, that means personalized learning, pinpointing weaknesses and everything, and really having that one-on-one approach, which means that you can get through the work a lot quicker. And instead of just following the regular school curriculum, uh, they just, you know, follow whatever uh, they need to do to pass this prerequisite to get into uni. They use that as the guidelines. And so that's one way to do it. Other ones, they use Khan Academy. They self-teach using these wonderful online resources that are already available. Others might have a parent or a family friend who's willing to help. But, you know, there are so many wonderful academic resources out there. Uh, That's not anything that we lack in this world. And some of them you have to pay money for. Some of them are free. You know, I'd I'd say mostly they're free nowadays. And so what's missing is, is the motivation and the drive. And, and that is what makes math such a nightmare for so many students and for their teachers, because the kids don't see any relevance to the, the real world stuff that they're going to be doing. You know, I focused in math class because I thought I wanted to be a research scientist. I felt like it was quite relevant to what I thought I wanted to do. And also I naturally excelled in it. And so that gave me the motivation to, to focus on it. 
but so many other kids just, you know, anything, once you get past, you know, pre-algebra, most kids are like this literally, I, I will literally never do this. And I remember in school, there was such a stigma of not doing maths, like it was just expected, or there was a pressure to do it. Even though if you really didn't enjoy it, and it doesn't serve any purpose beyond school, then what's the point? I am definitely guilty of doubting, you know, being like, I thought maths, you know, learning from a young age was essential. And this is true to an extent, like knowing the foundations when we're younger, for example, reading, writing, and general maths. I mean, it does set us up for more accesses to opportunities, but it's not the end all or be all. I thought that you had to start at this certain age and then you will become great by the time you're 17, 18, 18 and ready to go into uni. And I think, yeah, those sort of assumptions that we make in our heads underestimate the power of adult learning as well uh, because I have been doing crash course economics on YouTube uh, the one created by I think John and Hank Green and that one is so entertaining and I have been reading the comments uh, in the YouTube videos being like uh, he, they just explained it, it like three weeks of lectures in one video and I'm like I yeah. totally bypass you all <laughs> as I like do 10 videos and learn the mm -hmm. basics of economics and I think yeah in those situations we do sort of forget that learning is easy once we have the motivation and drive to do it and and especially in the modern era learning is easy when the motivation is there because mm -hmm. for example the homeschooling movement in the us really took off in the 1990s paralleling the the internet essentially yeah. that's when it exploded and i don't think that that is a coincidence mm -hmm. um, no i'm sorry that, that is a coincidence that mm -hmm. is a coincidence um, because mm -hmm. <laughs> there are so many options now in the past it was just the library really if you wanted to be an autodidact you had to like love learning by reading books and now you can you can learn about economics by watching crash course for me i, I am also like a self-taught economics geek and i have learned the most through podcasts and through reading books also but one of my favorite podcasts is econ talk uh, by this wonderful professor named named russ roberts he's been doing it since 2006 okay. he's like a an, a long time podcaster I would and yeah, and he essentially just brings on people who have recently published books that he finds fascinating. And he reads their book and then he interviews them for an hour. That's mm -hmm. his whole shtick. And and that has been such an engaging way for me to learn about economics and, and broader, you know, he'll talk about much broader issues that somehow connect back to concepts in economics. And and that is so accessible to me. I, I did take a micro and a macro economics class when I was in um, high school. And it was just like these narrow calculations about GDP. It was all this like yeah. very technical, almost accounting style economics. It was so boring and unengaging <laughs> and just miserable. And if that yeah. was my only exposure to it, there's no way I would self-teach economics. But yeah, the fact that we have all of these resources, all of these smaller actors who are creating interesting content, um, it really is the golden age of self-directed learning right now. It is. And 
And also, yeah, if you only had that one perspective on uh, economics, for example, if you were only introduced to boring tables with numbers and percentages. Sorry, maths. I feel like I'm really trashing you this episode. And you could for sure associate economics with that and just thinking that economics is always going to be boring and then and have that confirmation bias and thinking, oh, no, I want to avoid this from now on. Yeah. Um, leading into also that misconception that I am not good at economics or I mm-hmm. am not an economics person, which is such bullshit because it's, it's almost like we identify, we identify with being a certain way because of one small exposure of a subject. Mm-hmm. And because of the information age, the, you know, having five mediums to explain one concept um, it contradicts our prior beliefs potentially, or it mm. just gives us mm-hmm. a more nuanced insight into the subject. And now onto the last part of our conversation. So Blake's discussing why we're accepting conventional schools as they are and sort of how we would look back at it from the future. You know, th- these are things that we all just sort of accept today that in the future, people are going to say, why was this okay? And, and I suggest in the book that we should add another thing to the list, which is uh, this large scale system of compulsory schooling that very clearly does not serve a majority of the young people uh, yes. in it. It's largely a waste of their time. They're not engaged. They're not doing meaningful work. Um, they're going through the motions. They're learning how to play the school game. And yeah, it, it's, you know, they're learning how to, how to compete and succeed within this very limited sphere and and this sphere is something that doesn't really exist again uh once they get into adult life it's mm-hmm. like school is this alien world it's this institution we've created because we don't know what else to do with kids and especially yeah. with <laughs> adolescents like everyone agrees that kids need to learn how to read write and do very basic mathematics but beyond that does everyone have to learn algebra does everyone have to be exposed to chemistry for a full year like I think the answer is clearly no. Uh, yeah. If you want one reform that you could make to public schools that would make them a lot better, just make every class optional, right? <laughs> yeah. Let kids get let kids go to classes they want to go go to. That would make life better for the students who are in the class. It would make life better for the teachers, and it would be this this kind of democratic feedback system about what kids actually want to need. If you have kids who are like, I don't want to go to any of these classes then the public school educators or you know, private school educators, uh, it would be their mission to then create something that actually engages these young people and feels meaningful to them and challenges mm. them in a way that they want to be challenged. Like, My econ brain just thought of supply and demand. <laughs> yeah, you can call it supply and demand. You can just call it like respecting people's choices. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, not, <laughs> not compelling people to do stuff they don't want to do. That's what a free society should be about. Mm. For sure. Thank you. And to wrap up, um, I, see, I read your book, The Art of Self-Directed Learning, which is awesome. I really enjoyed it. It was the right, you know, like it had perfect humor to it, but it was also very informative. Oh, I did have a question because I was reading through it and my eyeballs just stopped on this sentence. You did a six week leadership retreat um, and you like i guess you could explain it but really you did an entrepreneur no god i can't say the word entrepreneur weekend and 
the students traded paper clips for golf clubs. And I'm, <laughs> how? How did that happen? Well, there were, I think there was about eight steps in between the paper clips and the golf clubs. But I oh. really just took, I took a challenge that somebody else created and, and I added it to my leadership program. And so uh, you can just Google one red paper clip and you'll find the story of this guy who, a uh, Canadian guy who gave himself a challenge that over the course of one year, he would start with like this little insignificant object he found on his desk, one red paper clip, and he would try to trade that, you know, without any money being involved, just swapping, trade that for something of slightly higher value and keep doing that over and over again until he actually ended up with a house in Canada. What? Yeah, you should find, I believe he has a TED talk or, or some video like what? that. Again, just Google one red paper clip. And so it's this wonderful story of what you can do if you have this kind of certain attitude and if you can tell a good story about, you know, your mission, your purpose. And because that's, those are all the assets that this guy, Kyle, had. He had like this kind of positive attitude. And then he had the story he was telling. He's like, I'm trying to trade a paperclip into something much bigger. And people loved hearing that story and they liked him. And so they would trade stuff with him. And, oh, cool. and they got to become part of his story. And so I think yeah. Kyle is a wonderful example of, of, you know, a motivated and ingenious self-directed learner who, you know, creates some cool project that enriches his life and enriches the lives of others. And so oh, that's what I tried to do with my, with the, the young adults who are part of that program. Uh, they didn't have a year. They had two days, I believe. <laughs> and, and they had a small town in Southern Oregon to uh, you know, find people to trade with. And they ended up with a set of golf clubs from a local used sporting goods store. And mm -hmm. they ended up you know, playing golf in, in a park as <laughs> their, their victory. That's so good. Oh my gosh, I wanna do this on my bucket list, one red paper clip. Awesome. And, um, oh, and this is very irrelevant, but I wanted to ask anyway, did you ever manage to find your beanie, the one that says teach uh, the, what a tragedy yeah the, the I, I felt that, really uh, bad for you yeah the, the class that I led at Berkeley called yeah. um, never taught to learn had this wonderful beanie that a student knit from me that that said teach yourself to learn to and then the words reconnected to the you know back to the beginning so it said teach yourself to learn to teach yourself to learn and I loved it and I, and I had it for like a week or two before I lost it in this giant supermarket. And no, I never found it again. And oh, it's, no. it's one of the great regrets of my life, Joanna. I'm so sorry to end it on such a sad note. That's like the last <laughs> question I have I'm going to go cry you. myself to sleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Well, I mean, uh, cool. I guess this is the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, cool. Anyway, um, thank you so much, though, Blake, for being on this podcast. It really means a lot to me. And uh, where can people find you and your work? You can find everything I do on my website, BlakeBowles, B-O-L-E-S.com. The podcast, the books, other writing, weird projects that I'm doing, my email newsletter. It's all there. Great. Thank you so much.
So I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Blake Bowles. Of course, you can check out his work online. It, he's just done so much and it's really inspiring to see. Also, if you have any feedback for this podcast episode or the podcast in general, then please contact itsjjyang at gmail.com. Also, any information that you want, it'd probably be in the podcast description. Awesome. See you next week. Thank you.